listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. blessing and honor um, every time I get a chance to stand up and uh, share with my family. Um, I think there's, there's no greater joy uh, than to be able to open God's word um, together um, with you all. Um, even in the midst of heaviness of heart this morning, um, as we just kind of let that news kind of sink in, I guess, a little bit, um, God has a word for us. Um, and I've I want to be faithful um, to, to, deliver, to deliver that um, this morning. Um, so um, <clears throat> we're in this series uh, called A Living Hope, and uh, we are going through the book of First Peter. Um, if, you know, if you're new or, or just kind of coming in, into this. And so this is the third week um, of that series. Uh, and we're going to be looking at about 12 verses um, today uh, from that. But before I, I start, I, you know, I was every so often, I don't know if some of you get this way, but uh, every so often I decide to kind of get a little nostalgic, right, and, and start to kind of uh, reminisce on some of the old days. Maybe you all remember some of the old days. Okay, I guess everybody's old days are a little different depending on how many days you've had. Um, but I was reminiscing on some of the old days and I came across this because we're in the middle of football season and you guys know there's nothing greater in life than football. I mean, other than Jesus, of course. Um, and so I was reminiscing and, and so in my closet, still after 20 years, is my, oh yeah, this is, this is a, this is a bit of history. This is, this is going to be worth money. Never. Um, <laughs> this is one of those things that's only valuable to me. Um, but um, as I was been reading through, and I know we've challenged everyone to read through First Peter and to read through the entire book. And then we also have the community Bible study, um, which is, I think it's been out uh, in the foyer there, if you haven't grabbed one, and it's just a way to kind of keep up with the study and um, keep your heart engaged in First Peter. And, and so as I've been reading, just reading through it, and I've read through it now a number of times, just, just kind of soaking in it um, a little bit, and it brings back these very painful, painful, painful memories. It has to do with this. And it wasn't painful during the years that I played. It became painful after I was done. And I've told you guys, I think I've, ever, I've even mentioned this before, because every so often when I think about it, it's, I mean, you want to talk about feeling a little depressed. Uh, it's like that. So I don't know how many of you have played team sports. Um, if you're into sports or not, it, it doesn't matter. You want to understand the, the sentiment. But 
you, you show up, particularly at college and high school as well, but you, you show up in college and they give you this jersey, which then makes you a part of this team. And oftentimes, if you are like me, you receive some scholarship dollars. And so, in a sense, the team has bought you, essentially. And so, when I think about, and it was a small school. Taylor's not a very big school. It's a small program. It's not a very big program. Not, you weren't going to see us on TV on Saturday night. We're not playing for national titles in the NCAA Division I. But, but it, was, it was fun. It was good ball. But I would think about this, the identity that this jersey gave me, right? And, and so I, you now identify as a Taylor Trojan, right, as a, as a football player. And I think about all that came with it, and it hurts me sometimes. Because you guys, if you haven't played or if you don't have that experience, you don't realize, I didn't realize until I was a senior in college, in my second semester of college, which means my final semester right before I graduated, and I didn't have a sport I was playing. So football was over because it ends in the fall, and I decided not to do track because I had a busy semester of pretty big stuff, and I was like, you know, I'm going to take the year off. And I didn't do track because of scholarship. I just did track because it was fun, and why not? And I sat around that whole second semester, that final semester, and I realized what it was like to be a normal student. Because I had never had that experience. From all of high school, all of college, I never had an experience where I didn't have a practice to go to. I didn't have the training room to go and get my body put together. I spent an hour in the training room before the three-hour practice, before the watching video sessions, before then the team meetings and the position meetings, before all of that. And that had always consumed my entire time as a high school and a college player. It was a lot of time. And it wasn't until the Lord revealed to me, you guys, much, much, much later, that I was convicted. I mean, strongly convicted, conviction that still exists even to this day of how my identity and Taylor as a football player pushed me to do things like spending hours and hours and hours, even to the detriment of some of my grades sometimes. And God's like, when have you ever spent that kind of time with me? When have you ever sacrificed so much that you did to play that sport for me? Oh, man, it hurt. I, I, I wanted to be a good football player. I wanted to be a good teammate. I wanted to represent the purple and gold well, and that meant it would take work, it would take effort. I knew the blood, sweat, and tears, literally, the running so much that you have to kind of run over to the side and heave-ho and then go back and run some more. And I think, when have I ever pushed myself out of my comforts at all for the sake of Christ? I mean, I could say it. It sounds good. But I realized that I was so far off 
and where my love was and where my heart was. Well, today in 1 Peter, Peter is going to be talking about in this section that we're talking about, about kind of some of the, the things that we must do in order to follow hard after Christ. Adam did a great job last week, and if you haven't heard last week's message on verses uh, 3 through 12, uh, or 3 to 11, please take a moment uh, and listen to the, um, go on the website and listen to it because it was really, it was really good, and it was really about setting up the background or setting up the foundation, right, for how we are to live on this earth, though we are from another kingdom, right? How do we live for Christ in a world that is in opposition to you? And in this section, we're going to read 13 to 25, which Dave read this morning. He's going to give us some instruction on how to do that. So we had the great foundation laid, and now we're going to start to build on that foundation. And there are three things that we're going to talk about. I should be able to get through them fairly, I won't even say quickly, you guys know me. Um, But I'm going to get through them. Um, And there are three things that we have to walk away with. But not just walk away with as in that was good information. But that we have to walk away with as in, God, I am going to invest part of my life in living this way. Can we pray for that? Let's do that. Lord God, we come to you. God, I come to you in as humbly a position as I know how to say, God, we need you. God, we want you. God, I want your word to come forth this morning with power with conviction, Lord God. Lord God, I want it to not um, just be me talking, um, but God, I want it to be your Holy Spirit speaking in a way, Lord God, that we can't help but recognize your voice, but God, more than that, that we can't help but respond to it. So God, open up the word for us. Open our ears that we might hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are in 1 Peter, and we're going to be in, uh, we're still in chapter 1. We're going to close out chapter 1 today, and we're going to be in verses 13, um, and we're going to go through 25. Um, And I do want to read this again for you. Uh, We've already heard it once from Dave, but I want to read it again uh, because I, I just, God's word has its way of speaking to us. The Holy Spirit has a way of speaking through his word in even greater ways than I could ever speak or share. So even if something's missed by my um, own attempt to break his word down, his word can speak for itself, amen? Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. 
Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold or were re- uh, that w- you were redeemed from that empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply and from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now, if you don't mind, we're just going to kind of go through this, um, not quite verse by verse, but but pretty close. um, Because I want us to be able to follow through and I want us to understand what Peter is is teaching us here and how um, we are to go from this kind of construct of understanding who we are in Christ, understanding the salvation that was bought for us by Christ's blood, right? So we understand that, and you could go back and and look at, you know, even starting in verse 3 when he says, praise be to God, follow Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, right? So, I mean, we got this good news, right? The good news, the gospel, right? We understand the good news. We understand what was done on the cross. We understand the implications of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now Peter says, okay, now, what do we do with this? How do we take this good news but now apply it to our lives in such a way that it makes a difference because tough times are a coming. I mean, we know that when Nero takes effect, there is going to be this wide mass and just even just a few years from this time, maybe even one, there is going to be huge persecution. We know today there's persecution of Christ followers all over the world. There will be difficult times. And and so how do you take this, this, this good news, this great knowledge, and put that into practice in a way that is going to kind of move the needle forward, move the church forward, move each of us forward? So it says then, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And so whenever it says, therefore, I had a professor who used to say, whenever you see the word therefore, you should always ask yourself, what is it there for? So you guys all just got a free Bible degree from me. means nothing, sorry. Um, but what is it there for? What are we, this is a connecting verb, right? If he's, if he's saying therefore, this is a connection. It means it has to connect to something that was spoken before. And the therefore is connected to the understanding of this salvation, right? It's the understanding of this good news. In light of this good news, then, he says, with minds then sober or alert and being fully sober, set your hope on this grace. 
But we got to go a little bit deeper in this in order to understand exactly where he's coming from and where he's going. When he goes on in verse 14, it says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But, verse 15, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you are writing things down, then number one on the list of things that we are to do, I said there are three things we're going to talk about, things to do in light of this good news, in light of the salvation. Number one would be we are called to be holy. Does anyone understand how big of a request that is? I mean, we know, we've heard, right, be holy or the idea of holiness or what holy means is to be set apart, right? It's, it's, it's kind of the, by definition, um, you know, that's kind of a term we, we often use. So, so in, this, in this idea of being holy, it is mean to be, to be set apart. And in this instance, it would be to be set apart kind of from the world or be set apart from this old way of living or as he puts it uh, in this living in ignorance, this time when you kind of lived your own way. But as I've dug into this more and more, I just continue to realize how, how big of a request this is. Because it's not just that he says be holy, meaning be set apart, which would be cool and which would be easy to do, but it says this. <laughs> but just who as he called you, who, he who called you as holy were to be holy. And then it says be holy because I am. Because God is holy, because Christ is holy, which means our set-apartness is to be like Christ. He is our example for what that means. I mean, how many of you guys remember back in the book of Exodus, right, uh, back in chapter 3 when Moses encounters the burning bush? Anybody recall that story? When's the last time you've seen the Ten Commandments? I don't know, some of you, it's been a while. Maybe time to bust that one out again. Um, but we remember the scene, right, very well, where there's the bush, and all of a sudden it's, you know, fire, and the old, you know, special effects back in the day were pretty horrendous. Um, so it was like the fire was in front of the bush, or that whole thing worked out, right? But that's neither here nor there. But the reality of this, um, of God speaking to man, and he speaks to Moses, and Moses goes over, and he tells him, take off your sandals, for the ground you stand on is holy ground, and he gives him instructions. I'm going to send you, right, back to the people of Israel. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and you are going to be a part of my grand plan to release my people from captivity. And in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 3, he says, Moses said to God, so suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Right? Who should I tell them sent me to do this? Well, it's a legitimate question. I oftentimes feel that, you know, it's kind of like when I tell the kids to do something, they always want to know, now who told you? Is this you, Daddy, or is this Mommy? Because if Mommy said it, we'll do it now. If you said it, we may give you some back and forth a little bit, right? So I always have to go in and say, I am bringing an edict from your mother 
who says it is now time for bed, and when that edict goes forth, children move. When daddy says it's time to go to bed, that means maybe in 15 minutes or 20 minutes or tomorrow, because once daddy falls asleep, he don't care. But when mommy says it, it's done, right? Who shall I say is telling me to send them? And he says these, and his words are so powerful and so important. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And you're like, what? Well, right, what was the question? Who do I tell them about their ancestors, right? He says, the God of your fathers has sent me. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And he's like, who should I tell him? And he was like, I am who I am. What does that mean? It means simply there were a lot of gods in Egypt. Right? There were, there were other gods. There were these ancestors. There were their, these, their fathers even, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? We know of them. And God says, you can't even compare me. You can't even put me in the same sentence really as them. I am completely set apart from them. You can't just say, oh, the God of Jacob, well, great. What does that mean? The God of Isaac, well, we know that God. I mean, we've heard of him. He's saying, no, I am who I am, meaning I am so set apart that there is no way you could say, well, you know that God who kind of took care of Jacob. No, he is in a league of his own. He is completely holy. He is completely set apart. So I don't want you just to say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, though he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of you. He's the God of us all. But he's saying, no, I am who I am. I am, meaning that there is no other word you need to try to describe me because there is no other word that describes me. I mean, that doesn't work for me. When I say I am, they're like, you am who? <laughs> oh, I am Michelle's husband. Oh, I am Malcolm and Autumn's father. Oh, I am this director at work, or, or I am this. I mean, I, oh, you have to qualify your I am. God does not have to qualify his I am. Because there are no qualifiers that fit. He is set apart to such a degree that I am is enough. Then he says to us, be holy because I'm holy. Be set apart in the way that I am set apart. What? I mean, you guys remember in Matthew, right, um, when Peter is talking with Jesus, and Peter's like, you know, God, Jesus is like, you know, who do they say that I am? And say, oh, some say you're this, and some say you're that, and some say you're one of the prophets. And he turns to Peter and says, Peter, who do you say that I am? This is the same Peter. He says, you're the Messiah, right? The son of God. You are not just, you know, a good man. You're not just a, a wise, weren't just a, a wise, you know, rabbi. You, you weren't just a good teacher. No, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are, I mean, in essence, for us, beyond description. You are so set apart. You are holy. Then he tells us to be holy. He says, now in light of 
in light of the gospel, in light of the good news, in light of what was accomplished on the cross, in light of what occurred through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in light of that, be set apart from the world. Be different. Be holy. Be like Christ. That is a tall order. That is a tall order. That is a, a powerful, powerful ask for you and for I. So then when we go back to verse 13 and we say, he says, to be holy because he is holy and we are a reflection of him, then we can say, well, with minds alert. Right, because then what, is, what does it take for us to, to live like that? We've got to have, we've got to have, our minds have to be ready. Basically, and some of the, the translation says, um, your, your loins girded up, <laughs> right? When they used to wear the tunics and they wanted to run and they had to pull their tunic up and tie it up here around the waist because it's hard to run with a dress on. I've never experienced it, but I'm assuming some of you women could kind of relate to this, right? And so they call it, look, uh, girding up your loins and pulling your thing up so you can run. Basically, our term today is roll your sleeves up. This is an action. This is not just some passive faith that we're living. But he's saying, no, we got to roll up our sleeves and be fully sober. Fully sober don't just mean not drink. It means that we are to be self-controlled. How do we look different than the world? We have to exercise self-control. We have to show control in the way we interact with others. We have to show control in the way our anger gets away from us. We have to show control in the things that we allow our eyes to see or the words that we allow to come from our mouths. So we have to roll up our sleeves for action. We have to be self-controlled. And then it tells us, three, we need to set our hope on the grace that is brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. Amen. There's a, an old saying and back in the, you know, in my old sports nostalgic days that say you can't score a touchdown looking back at the people running behind you. You can't look at the enemy coming and try to do this and run that way very fast. And so when he says set your hope, set your gaze, set that not into some, you know, this is not hope that's just some like wishful optimism. Oh, I hope I win the lottery. I hope I win the big one, right? What's it up to now? I don't know. I drove by that sign on Friday. I don't know if somebody won. It was like almost $200 million. Oh, I hope I win it. And then the odds of it are like one in 300 million or something crazy like that. But we, we use this hope in such a, such a cheap way, such a, a, a small, insignificant way that our hope, hope doesn't really even mean a whole lot anymore. It's just like this wishful thinking, like I hope this happens. But when he says set your hope on the grace, he is saying there is a reality. There is a reality of this grace of God that has come to us. So he's not saying set your hope on some wishful. He's saying being confident of that which God said he has the power to do. So this is the idea. The idea is that once we roll up our sleeves and we're exercising self-control and we're going through this life and our hope is set on the grace that God will reveal to us in the end, we're, we're moving towards something. Then he says we can 
as obedient children, we then don't conform to the evil desires we had when we lived in ignorance. Right? When I was a child, I walked like a child. I talked like a thought. I acted like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things behind me. Right? There's, there's, this, there's this sense of, of there's a growth that happens. Right? And so as we live in the light of the salvation of Christ, and as we roll up our sleeves, and as we're moving forward, and as our, our hope is set on the grace that is revealed to be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed in his, in his second coming, then it says, then we are to conform no longer to these evil desires that we once had, which allows us to be holy. Here's the amazing thing about the holiness of Christ is it is completely caught up in the reality of who Jesus is, which means that our attempt at holiness is not our own effort. Minus the Holy Spirit, we are incapable. But with the Holy Spirit, we are fully capable. Self-control without the Holy Spirit is just an attempt at something when we might feel like it. <laughs> and when we don't feel like fighting, we take the gloves off and we're done. Self-control with the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is quickening us, is, is talking to us all the time, is, is telling us to say no to ungodliness, right? It's to, to walk away from those things that do not bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So in order for us, in order for Peter, as he was talking to, as he's writing this letter, to those who would read it both then and now, he is saying, you're not alone. But be holy, just as he is holy, that the church should look different. That we must look different and not just a little different not just whitewash kind of over a little bit where you know like the way I paint stuff and Bob will tell you he knows it firsthand because he's seen my paint job where you could still see the, the what was underneath it underneath right I do one half of a coat on there and then I'm ready to be done I'm saying oh nobody will notice and it's like wallpaper under there with big bold patterns right somehow that is kind of this somehow the idea of holding oh, is just this little cover up, this little cover over of, 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 of kind of, you know, looking like the world, but just enough like Christ so people might know, you know, that's why we sometimes got to post on Facebook, up, oh, I'm showing up inside the door of the church. May not see it in our living, but at least they get people in low on Facebook. Here I am smiling in front of the door, Right? Our holiness is, is not about what we do for the, really the few hours on Sunday morning. Though this is a part of it. It's about how we live. And Peter is speaking and saying, no, it's about how you live your life. We have to live our lives differently as we are set apart. Church, I'm going to beat on this, and i got 10 minutes to make the other two points, but the other two points I'm going to make in one minute. But this one we have to rest in. This has to become important to us that we would be set apart, that we would live holy as he is holy, that God, Jesus Christ, is our example. Therefore, we can be a church who, as we'll learn in these other points, do those things well. 
Verse 17, since you call in a father who judges each person's work and partially live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Number two, one, we are to be holy. Two, we are to live as foreigners. How many of you have been in foreign lands where you are not the majority? <laughs> you know, I didn't recognize how foreign, and I've been to quite a few countries. I've been to quite a few countries in, in Europe and Central America and uh, you know, different places, but I didn't realize how difficult it really was sometimes to be foreign because most of those places you can kind of get by with a little bit of English, right? Like there, there's enough people that understand enough that you can, you can kind of make your way, even, even as, even as, even as an, an American, until we went to Japan. I tell you, I don't know where Akiko is. I don't know if she's somewhere in here or she stepped out. It'd probably be better if she stepped out. Um, living there for the two weeks that we were there this summer with our youth, our missions team, in the country where literally if you couldn't speak language, you had a hard time translating, you know, a hard time communicating. I mean, it was, it, it was tough being a foreigner there because it was, it was just, there, was, there wasn't even enough stuff where you could point at because I couldn't even tell you what the picture was I was pointing at, right? Like it was that, it was that, yes, thank you. But I had an Akiko. You know what makes being a foreigner in a country okay as long as you've got somebody who speaks the language? It made what would have been nearly impossible possible. Now, I don't want to be sacrilegious here and say something really crazy, but I'm going to say it anyway because it may make the point across. Just as awesome as it was to have an Akiko, I praise the Lord we have a living and active Holy Spirit. Amen? Because we're supposed to live in this land, in our area today. Peter, of course, was, was talking to, um, you know, the Jews then. But we're to live in our area today as foreigners. We're not supposed to make this our home. So when we're living differently, when we're being set apart, when we're living as a different people, and we know what that looks like, we know what that means, we're the people that in the midst of the hardest things that we can imagine, even as the Barkers are walking through it now, we can say we grieve, but we also rejoice. Guys, that is a foreign concept to a lot of people. That we can have some of the most difficult things happen in our lives and in our world, and we can, we can, instead of turning away from everybody, we turn towards the church and say, brothers and sisters, I need you. That's foreign. We could have all the reason to cuss somebody out because they said or did something to us, and instead we choose not to, and we choose to bless and not curse. That's foreign to a lot of people. We are to live our lives as foreigners. And then it says in, in reverent fear. When I think of reverent fear, I think of my mother. I grew up in a home, like many of you know, and my dad wasn't there, and my mom raised three or four boys. And I had a very reverent fear 
of that woman. If my mom gave me five bucks and say, go down to the corner store, and we know there's the grocery stores, which were far, but the corner store, which is where you get all your regular staples, most neighborhoods, at least in where I grew up, had them, and she gave me five bucks and she said to go get something, I would not come back with a Snickers bar and a bag of chips and not get the milk and the eggs or whatever it was she sent me to do. I mean, I had the money in my hand. And I was bigger than my mom as of about 12 years old. So even at 15 or 16 or 41, it would not cross my mind to cross my mom. I had a reverent fear that that woman, even at 70 now, could still floor me with a single blow. <laughs> and here's the crazy thing, is she's never had to do it to prove it. There's just a reverent fear of, of who she is and what she stands for, but also the love that I know she has for me, that she's not going to just let me get away with mess. We must have a reverent fear of Christ. We don't have a reverent fear of God anymore. We don't think he's going to, there's, there, oh, there's nothing, he's too loving. He's not that same God in the Old Testament that would just completely wipe out nations. That's not him anymore. We just sang about it. Our God's a roaring lion. He is not weak. We are to have a reverent fear of him. So we're living our lives not like we're from here. We're living different. We're living like foreigners, and we're doing that in reverent fear that the God who has called us to be set apart is the one that is saying, not only am I behind you, not only am I calling you out, but I am also saying, as children of mine, my children will live and act a certain way. So you better get on board. We don't believe that anymore. Oftentimes we believe we could do and live and think whatever we want and, you know, as long as we show up on Sunday and, you know, put in some money in the basket or plate and kind of we're, you know, we've, we've, we're good. Somehow we've got to come back to a place of fear of God. Because when you have enough fear, when your own instincts and heart tells you to do something, that little bit of fear will tell you otherwise. I mean, there are times I wanted to pull some stuff on my mom. I'm going to sneak out. I'm going to do this. And there was just enough twinge of fear in my heart that I had to have a second guess. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I didn't always obey mom. <laughs> some things to this day she still doesn't know about. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. There was a fear of her. Not a shaking in my boots fear. A, I knew she wanted the best for me, and if I showed up with something that wasn't my best, yeah, that conversation was not going to go well. God wants the best from his people, and he wants us to not live like we are from this place, trying to make ourselves comfortable in trying to keep up with the Joneses and trying to make ourselves comfortable with trying to look like everybody else so that we don't stick out. No, he's saying, no, I want you to stick out because you are called to be set apart. Therefore, you are to live as foreigners. You're not to live like you're from this place. There should be a reverent fear for you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you are redeemed with. No, you weren't bought with, 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 with some cash or some gold or some silver. 
It says, no, instead, you were bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So this is a value of greater value than, than any gold or, or anything. It says, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Not in the powers that be, not in the structures that be, not in the governments, not in all of these things, but our hope is in God. That is how we're able to live and why we live as foreigners. Because we don't live according to this rule and reign, though we must obey the laws that exist and on all those things, right? But we are to live according to a very different kingdom and very different kingdom principles. And this is just a side note. Unless we know God's word, we don't even know the kingdom principles by which we are called to live by. So when we talk about men, there's BSF for men, or Bible Spiritual Fellowship, and you're just sitting at home on a Monday night and like, I don't do stuff like that. It might be time to think about it. Or women, same for you, and there are Bible studies and there are things all the time. Or just get with brothers and sisters in Christ and say, let's open God's word together. Because if we're called from a different kingdom and we're a people that are not from here, then we need to understand what our code of living is in order to reflect our citizenship, our heavenly citizenship. Last thing, and we'll finish. It says this in verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere so that you have sincere love. So you says you purify yourselves by obeying the truth, right? The truth of God's word. So these are the things that Peter is saying. And he says, in doing that, then you can have sincere love for each other. Then he just gives this next little point. Love one another deeply. Be holy. Live as foreigners. Number three, love one another. Sounds almost too simple to be true, huh? Really? We got the great news of the gospel. We got all these things that, are, that have been done, the power of the Holy Spirit that's with us, and we're to be holy, and man, that's, that's tough, but the Holy Spirit's with us, and we're to live as foreigners, which is, man, that's like just different, like live like we're not from here, that, we're to, that people should be looking at us like, where do they even make people like you anymore, Right? I've had people tell me that. It is the craziest thing. Whenever you do something that is not, you don't respond the way the world you're expected to respond, and they'll be like, aren't you mad? I'm like, well, I mean, I'm not happy about it, but what's the point of me getting mad? That's not going to fix anything. What? Why do they even make people like you? I would be blah, 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 and I'd go off, and I'd, you know, tell them this, and I'd tell them that, and I'm like, and what will that get you? But then he says the third thing that we're to do is we're to love one another deeply. If we are to look like this new kingdom that Christ, that is, that is to come, right? We are, we're setting our gaze on this that is to come. If we're to live like that now in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of all kinds of persecution, whether we're experiencing it now or, or that they were going to be experiencing there in the, in the first century, it is this, that we have to love the body of Christ. Peter would know this well because he was there. 
when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Recall, do you guys recall that? And it talks about there becoming a point when people just started selling everything in order to give to one another as they had need. And so Peter's saying, you've got to love each other deeply. Not just this kind of, oh, yeah, I love you. It's kind of fun to say. Or for some of us men, it's really hard to say. But it's saying in order for us to look different, in order for us to be set apart, in order for us to live as foreigners, one of the greatest expressions of that is how we love one another. Not your wife and your kids. Not just how we love people we've just met. Whether they are in the body of Christ or not, how we love one another matters. And then it says we have to love them deeply. I don't even know if I even fully understand what loving deeply means. I, mean, I love my wife deeply and I, and I married her. That's a good sign of deep love, right? Okay. And walk around marrying everybody. Nope, can't do it. Thank you. <laughs> but to love one another deeply requires there's going to be sacrifice that will be made for one another. To love one another deeply means that I'm going to care for you with no expectation of anything in return. That it's not a tick for tat love. That if you are in need, if my brother JR is in need, that I want to meet the need and I'm not going to expect a return from it. Remember that time I hooked you up? JR, I need, you, I need you to show that love back to me now, right? It's not that kind of love. It's that kind of love I always talk about where we, we can see something, someone's down, and we can go up to them and say, I just, I just noticed something, is, it just doesn't seem to be right, that the light isn't there, the glimmer that's usually there isn't there, and I just want to pray for you. Because to love one another deeply means that my focus isn't just on me. It's not a self-serving kind of a love. It is a, I want to be expressive to the body of Christ and to the world around me kind of love. If we are going to be kingdom people on this earth today, in our time, we have to love deeply. We have to live as foreigners. We have to be holy, set apart as he is holy. Amen? So, Lord God, I thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word, Lord God. God, I pray and ask that somewhere in some of my babbling, Lord God, that your word came forth. God, that you spoke to your people. God, that our identity in you would cause us to sacrifice in the way we live for you. That we would be holy. That we would live as foreigners. That we would not try to fit in, God. That we would be we would be just, perf just perfectly comfortable in being on the fringes, Lord God to not try to live like this world. And God, that we would love one another deeply. God, your example is this, that greater, has no, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. Oh God, that we would live in such a way, that we would love in such a way, 
that the idea of laying down our lives for one another would not be foreign to us as the body of Christ. But in fact, it would be who we are. Convict us of your word in Jesus' name.